Hello and welcome to The Case Files. I'm Kate Chabot and over the course of this podcast series, I'll be bringing you the true life stories behind some of the UK's most fascinating legal cases, all told with unparalleled access to the people and lawyers closest to events. In the last episode of The Case Files, we heard from Laura, who was abused at Cheatham's, a prestigious music school in Manchester. She told us how, when she was just 14 years old, her teacher spent months manipulating her to get to the point where he could sexually abuse her. He initially started by saying, you know, I had done well doing my concerts, and then he um, said that I must have sore shoulders after having done all of that work because I'd been practising really hard, and he said he wanted to give me a massage on my shoulders, and so he... And I didn't feel that I could say no... In this episode, we're going to hear from Laura's mother with her perspective on the abuse her daughter suffered. I'd wanted to help her. I'd planned on making things better. Nothing touched her. It was like she was in a concrete vault. It felt like she had really been stolen by someone. We'll also hear from Catherine, who suffered emotional abuse at Cheatham's, to find out how a school's culture can allow a teacher to act with impunity. It was just accepted at some level. People did talk about what he was doing. It was, oh, he's groping so-and-so, or we all know that he gropes all his students, or we know that he takes them out of school, or we know that he takes them out to the pub around the corner and gets them drunk. And Richard Scorer, a lawyer from Slater and Gordon, tells us the law needs to be improved to protect children. We don't have a law that says that if somebody in an institution knows about or suspects that a child is being abused, that they then have a legal duty to report that, for example, to the police so that it can be investigated. If you missed the last episode of The Case Files, Laura, which isn't her real name, told us about the abuse she suffered at the hands of Christopher Ling. He became a music teacher at the prestigious Cheatham School in Manchester in the late 1980s. He spent months praising Laura, then putting her down, playing on her desire to be a top-class violinist. He toyed with her mind to create opportunities for sexual abuse. Ling escaped justice in America after British authorities failed to mount a case against him. That's despite the testimony of ten children. Let's get the perspective now from Laura's mother, who we're calling Louise. I took her back to when she sent Laura to board at Cheatham's in Manchester. It was really set up as prestigious in those days. So we were absolutely thrilled. And she must have been too. It was that adventure that was going to be coming... There would be the teaching, it would be boarding school, it would be everything they dreamed of, actually. And and Laura had a real passion for the violin, did she? She was an interesting child because when I... She was just so musical and so good at it. She never thought of her life without a violin. (laughs) She never thought of her life that one day it wouldn't be music and the violin. And when you first went to see Cheatham's, what did you think of it? I was really impressed. Front of house was so cool. You know, there were the good-looking headmaster. He seemed to... He sort of filled the bill of a headmaster, you know. You that you'd go into his office, you could trust. You know, you knew your children would be with an experienced head. Their housemistress, she was charming and 
delightful and beautiful as it happened. <laughs> Everything seemed perfect. Did you meet Chris Ling? No, he we we never met him. We did, actually we didn't meet any potential teachers. I think they had their own system of allocating children. So off she goes. Off she goes, happy as a lark. And what about you? Because I had a I was so beguiled and thrilled that it wasn't sadness. It was just such an achievement. And when once she got to the school, how often did you get the chance to talk to her? Um, in those days, it was so very different. There was some miserable phone that was right in the corridor and everybody could hear everything. And then once she changed teacher from one teacher to another and then went to Ling, he very much discouraged. Not that I knew that at the time, I have to say. But it didn't surprise me that she... I, I had felt that children call home when they've got trouble. It was also a system where they had to write their Sunday letters, so we always got letters. So I had some idea, but not for one moment did I think that things were difficult. When she did make phone calls home, how did she seem to you? She just seemed her ordinary self. There was no intimation that anything was untoward. You had no idea? None at ever. all. Ever? No. What about during the holidays? Um, I was just thinking about that. I was really... I have to say... Ours was, well, ours was a very busy household, so there was an enormous amount going on. Um, by then, she had started excessively practising. With hindsight, this was a clue to the abuse Laura was suffering. It was a warning sign that she was under a significant amount of pressure. But there was no clear indication of what was really going on. It's the only real change I observed. I knew later that eating problems, she had eating problems at school, but only later. Um, so that and when she came home, that wasn't apparent. None of that was apparent when she came home. So I couldn't... No warning signs? No warning signs at all. And even when you look back now, with the benefit of hindsight, you can't see anything? None. In reality, Laura was going away to a school that allowed her to be groomed and abused. Louise is deeply hurt by what was happening to her daughter. I can't believe that some a parent like myself, who was so incredibly vigilant, caring, observant, and felt I had a good relationship, that really that wasn't what was happening at all. What was happening was, you know, the most ghastly things were happening to this child and I didn't have a clue. I, I just felt, well, once I knew, just devastated. But it shows how it can happen, how at school, how much we rely on these house parents and how important the school is in observing and recording on our behalf. So I was totally unaware of it. Did she ever talk about 
her violin teacher, Lynn? Um, she did, um, because he was set up as the coolest thing. You know, anyone who was with allowed to be with Ling was very was set up to be quite privileged. Um, the only thing she really spoke about was that he was, you know, he made them practice. Well, in my mind, in a mother's mind, which That's good. It couldn't be anything but good. Did you notice that she was abandoning or, or neglecting her other studies then? No. And it wasn't very obvious with Laura because she was an academic child and it was not difficult for her to do quick catch-ups. But I wasn't aware of that at all. I was never contacted with any concerns at all. The school never got in contact? Never. Studies, not no. academic, not... N nothing. It, it subsequently has come to light that, according to the school at least, that none of the concerts and courses Ling organised at his home had been sanctioned by them. Did you know they were going on? I mean, I... Listen. If I could really use the language I want to at that moment in time, I would. Of course they knew. I know they knew. It was... They... It was just spoken. It, so, did you, you knew that she was going to his house? Yes. And he was being I taught know. at his house. And you knew there was these other concerts going on. You thought... But I knew the school... You I, thought it was all absolutely. above board. And I don't believe it wasn't spoken about in that Laura will be going to a extra tuition in the holidays. Laura's sexual abuse lasted for some months, but as we heard in the last episode, after a time it stopped. Ling came up with a new scheme to take Laura and other gifted students to America, purportedly to get special violin teaching. The way Ling held Laura in his thrall made her desperate to go. It was almost as though she would rather have died than not go. The passion and insistence that she presented to me when the suggestion of going to the States came up. Did you have doubts? Because I had this relationship with Laura, which is that I could trust her. That we told what she said. I, I, I just think I just didn't see. I didn't see it. I can't believe that myself as a person could have said yes in that way. And yet, at the time, with Laura's enthusiasm, I can't believe. I didn't question it, but I didn't. Some months later, Laura returned from America for Christmas. Ling hadn't sexually abused her there. Instead, he'd begun a campaign of humiliating her at every opportunity. She was isolated and more vulnerable than ever. Another child from Cheatham's had spoken out against Ling and the police began an inquiry. The police came to our house and we had an interview with the police who told us about it was absolutely devastating because that's when the change in her was so obvious. 
was absolutely tragic. She was crushed. I couldn't reach her. I'd wanted to help her. I'd planned on making things better. Nothing touched her. So as for having reassuring conversations or anything like that, she was totally closed down and shut off. It was like she was in a concrete vault. And all I could, all I felt was that she'd really been stolen. It felt like she had really been stolen by someone, by Ling. And this tragic shell came back, utterly crushed. We'll hear again from Louise in a little while. To get some more insight into Ling's insidious methods, I also spoke to a woman we're calling Catherine. She was at Cheatham's at a similar time to Laura and kept detailed diaries about living there. She told me about meeting Ling for the first time. One of my very first lessons, he said to me, um, I'm the new teacher here, so I've been given the least talented of the new intake. What are we going to do about it? And that was kind of how it started. So, What did you think when he said that? Um, I think I was quite upset. and But I realised that what he was trying to encourage me to do was prove people wrong, or well, that's what I thought. So I, I sort of tried to sort of be brave and, and feisty and yeah I'll work really hard and we'll, we'll, we'll prove them wrong and you know he was also a very charismatic figure so um, Was he um, popular then? I, I think in, in some ways he, he was and you know he really played up to being um, young and cool and funky and, you know most of the teachers were in you know they seemed old to us at the time you know but they most of them were actually I would say over over 50 how old was he? And he was in his late 20s, I think. And, you know, he, he swaggered about in his leather jacket and his crocodile skin boots and his shirt unbuttoned and the whole string corridor would stink of cigarettes in his aftershave. And I, I think certainly when I was younger, I was kind of taken in by that. I thought, oh, yeah, he's a really cool character. And, you know, when somebody presents themselves as a cool character and you're a little kid, you um, you, you kind of go with what they say and go with what they do, really. Ling may have seemed cool to children, but the reality was that he was a deeply disturbed individual. He spoke to the children in his care about sexual subjects and encouraged sexual behaviour. The unique trust between a teacher and pupil was being broken. He did actually ask me on more than one occasion whether I, if he told me that if I ran down the street naked, it would make me a better violin player. Would I do it? Um, he he also... What did um, you say when he said that? I think I was so naive that I just remember feeling a bit uncomfortable. And I think, I mean, on one of those occasions, it was with a group of his female pupils. And I think we all just kind of giggled and laughed it off. And I, I just thought, oh, that's a bit strange, but I'm obviously missing something because I'm little and I don't really understand what's being got at here um, so I think I was just generally a bit confused when he said those things to me um, but he was definitely saying things like that to other people as well 
he said a couple of things that were and did a couple of things with me which were quite scary and weird which that he was correcting my left hand technique um and he that was must have been 11 or 12 it was very much when i started and he did say to me you know um i want you to imagine that i've got a vial of um the aids virus in my hands and i've got the needle pointed right at your thumb and if you move your thumb you're going to get um pricked with the virus and you know this was obviously the mid 1980s so it was kind of at the height of the aids crisis and i remember being really scared that he would sort of use that as a technique in my lessons um and then later on when i was about 13 the moors murderers um i think they might have been looking for a, a body on on saddleworth moor so it was very much in the news and we spent an entire lesson talking about it and that was the first time he made me feel really uncomfortable talking about sexual stuff because he basically we didn't play a note on the violin we just talked about an interview with one of the children that um, Ian Brady murdered um, and I think they were forcing the child to have or to perform you know to ha- to perform oral sex on Ian Brady and Chris Ling kept on saying to me do you understand what they were doing do you know what was in his mouth do you know what was going on and he he wouldn't let the sort of matter drop and I remember feeling really uncomfortable but thinking he must think I'm really grown up that he can talk to me about this stuff in my lessons um, and actually I just in the end I, I, even though I wasn't entirely sure at the time what was going on I did, did sort of say yes I understand just to shut him up because I was feeling so uncomfortable Catherine was never sexually abused it was clear he'd started to groom her but seemed to change his mind and began a campaign of intense bullying and manipulation I asked Catherine why she thought his behaviour never became sexual. I don't know. I certainly was... I know from talking to my friends that I was subjected to exactly the same grooming processes um, as they were. Um, there, there came a point where um, he started saying he didn't want to teach me anymore and I know that he was actively destroying my reputation and I, I know that from some of my friends who were abused by him, that he was actually going around and saying that I was a terrible violinist and I shouldn't be in the school and I should leave. Um, and one of the questions for me is uh, around whether he thought I knew what he was doing at that time. I didn't, at the time that he was teaching me, know for sure um, that he was abusing students. But um, I wrote him a letter at some point to try and convince him that I wasn't stupid and that I, you know, I was trying my best and all the rest of it. And I realise in hindsight that if a reasonably bright child writes you a letter saying, I'm not stupid and you know you're doing all kinds of unspeakable things, that that could easily be interpreted as as some kind of threat. Um, And he definitely did have a thing about, you know, yeah, that one's a bright one, I have to watch that one. Um, You know, he said, he said, you heard him say that kind of thing? Um, he didn't say it to me, but he certainly said it to some of my friends. So he he definitely was um, taking care to uh, protect himself from allegations. Um, so I, I have often wondered whether he thought I was threatening him and just wanted me out of the school and out of the way. Because um, it was a really extreme reaction. I mean, you know... I'd, I'd been there for three years, and so you, when you said, you know, I'm not stupid, yeah, his reaction was, 
Um, his reaction was, well, this school is not for academically gifted children. This school is for musically gifted children and you're not, so you shouldn't be here. You're taking up the place of somebody else who should be, so you need to leave. He took me off to see my housemistress, who agreed with him entirely that that's what should happen. Uh, they, She rang my parents and my parents were absolutely furious with him and said he was putting ideas in my head and they were furious with me for believing him. Um, so it was a big mess. And, uh, and in the end it was decided that I should stay but the school wouldn't let me move to the teacher I wanted and basically from that point onwards it was very obvious that I didn't really have any standing in the school and had no rights to ask for anything. So I basically endured the next four years. I was there for my entire secondary education. So from about the age of 14 onwards, I just basically stayed there and... It sounds miserable. It was horrible. I just had this profound sense of shame that I'd failed as a musician already by the time I was 18. What do you think the culture was like at Cheatham's? I can only describe it as a horribly ill institution. You know, there's entries in my diaries about... So a a friend of mine made a disclosure um, about six months before she then went to the police and, and there was an inquiry. And I wrote about her disclosure in my diary and... What is really shocking is that I'm so matter-of-fact about it. Um, uh, I can't remember the exact words, but it's something along the line of, you know, everybody knows that Chris Ling feels up his students, but what he's done to my friend is truly shocking. What did he do to your friend? Well, I, it's only very recently that I found out exactly through through the ICSA hearing exactly what he did to her. So I That's had, the independent inquiry into child sexual yeah, abuse. Yeah, it was really extreme. He was abusing her from... A very young age, pre definitely prepubescent. His behaviour to you was very cruel. Yeah. What kind of impact has that had on you? Um, I would say I have big problem with uh, male authority figures. I find it very difficult to um, speak up and, uh, and challenge them. Um, and that means generally I've been very angry with them because I haven't been able to find a voice to deal with them. Um, and I think in you know in the immediately after after I stopped learning with Chrysling, I was self-harming. I was cutting open the back of my hands with whatever I could, whatever came to hand. It was usually in a fit of rage. Um, and uh, in my twenties, I think. I had such such a sense of shame and failure that I, you know, one of the ways I could cope with, particularly with being in social situations, was to drink a lot. Um, and I've, yeah, I, I've had two quite extended bouts of counselling that have been very related, particularly the second one, to um, what I experienced at Cheatham's. When was it then that you felt you could... When did you speak out about this? Um... It sounds kind of nuts. You just um, didn't. You just bottled it all up. Did you? Yeah, I, I think, I, and especially because you know a lot of my friends had had been sexually abused, and my abuse was psychological and emotional. Um, and 
I think, and also in the original police investigation into Ling in 1990 and 91, I was interviewed and I was told, you know, you are lucky. You're one of the lucky ones. And in, and I, I totally get that. In, in a sense, I really am. But I think it meant that I just assumed that I hadn't been subjected to anything that I should be upset about. And It's interesting because you said earlier that um, when he didn't single you out for sexual yeah. abuse, you felt that you failed because yeah, you hadn't been chosen. Yeah, I know. And I know it doesn't how make sense. it doesn't make any sense. And, you know, that's a purely kind of emotional reaction that I think is absolutely grounded in what was happening at the time rather than having, you know, I mean, I know that's an insane thing to think, but I think... It just shows how much damage he did to your confidence, though. Yeah, exactly. And 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 the whole way he manipulated people into do, doing his bidding. A quarter of a century after Ling had left Cheatham's, his crimes nearly caught up with him. In 2015, he was about to be arrested in America to face extradition proceedings back in the UK. There were 77 charges of sexual assault against him. But before the US Marshals could get to him, he shot himself. Catherine told me what she felt when she heard. A lot of conflicting emotions. So on one level, I wasn't surprised because I I told the police in 2013 that I thought he was such a control freak that he would probably kill himself um, rather than be brought back to face justice. So part of me was not in the slightest bit surprised. Um, Part of me was relieved that it wouldn't go to court and that my friends wouldn't have to give testimony and that I wouldn't be called as a witness um, to support what they had, you know, their, their testimony. And part of me was furious that he had evaded justice. So it was quite a complex range of emotions. Um, and, you know, I spoke to my mother about it and she... Um, I was I was very upset. I was on it was the morning that we heard and I was in tears and she actually said to me, you know, are you upset because you still were uh, in his enthrall to him? And I I was actually furious with my that my mum could possibly have thought that at that time, but I think you know, I had been enthralled to him when I was a kid and it had taken me a long time to work out that he was a really depraved individual. Did you hero worship him at the beginning? Yeah, very definitely. Yeah, for sure. You know, he was this charismatic, swaggering, uh, dynamic figure who was very focused on sort of creating his little posse around him and we were part of a special club and he was at the centre of it. And uh, so, yeah, I would say I did worship him and what do you think of him now um by the time i by the time he left the school um i had come to think he was a really truly horrible slimy individual (laughs) um and what i think of him now and and particularly through talking to my friends who were abused talking with them as adults, I, uh, yeah, the only word I can use to describe him is depraved. It's just an extraordinary level of depravity. We focused on Christopher Ling, but Cheatham's has had problems for many years. 
Details of abuse carried out over decades were revealed during evidence given to the independent inquiry into child sexual abuse, which has looked at the problem in churches, schools and councils. Richard Scorer is head of abuse law at Slater and Gordon. He gave me a timeline of what happened at Cheatham's. Abuse at, at Chats was going on for many, many years. And, you know, back in the 60s and 70s, people have described abuse there as being uh, very routine, and that included um, the sexual abuse of, of, of children. So we're not just talking <coughs> about one person here. We're certainly not just talking about one person. There have been multiple um, allegations against multiple um, alleged abusers over many years. Uh, I suppose the you know, one of the big cases where this first came to light was was the, the investigation into Christopher Ling, which was in, in, in 1990. And a number of people came forward with allegations. Ultimately, he wasn't prosecuted at that time. And then, of course, um, there were the incidents at, at, at Chet's involving Michael Brewer. Again, that was sort of hushed up. And he was the he, head of music. And he was the head of music at that time in the early 1990s. He, he left the school and his resignation was explained away as being for health reasons. And we heard him in, in the inquiry about that so it was really only then um in you know after 2000 and and particularly in in 2013 2014 2015 that we got these big investigations into what was going on at chets and and looking at you know cases from the past including involving michael brewer and of course christopher ling although he committed suicide before he was able to be prosecuted Catherine says when she was there christopher ling's abuse was just part of life at the school i think it was just commonly accepted that he was behaving inappropriately with his students. You know, we would have talked about him, oh, he's been feeling up so-and-so, or we know that he gropes them. And it was just kind of accepted that that was how it was. And, you know, there were other teachers that we knew about. So the whole environment was one where it was just accepted at some level. So were the other students talking about what he was doing? I mean, were they going into detail about... Um, I think actually from what I know from my friends that they didn't talk amongst themselves about what he was doing to them but in the wider school you know I think people did talk about what he was doing and not not in detail I think you know it was again it was sort of oh he's groping so and so or we all know that he gropes all his students or we know that he takes them out of school or we know that he takes them out to the pub around the corner and gets them drunk and um, and you know Ling particularly because he did these courses out of school so some of my friends did come back and tell me that you know there'd been lots of alcohol and that they were really ill from drinking and that he was walking around in sort of hardly any clothes and you know it it was all fairly obviously unwholesome I would say Events we're talking about at Cheatham's happened some years ago. Safeguarding procedures are now much tighter, but the number of children being sexually abused in England and Wales is currently at a record high. Figures from the NSPCC, based on police data, showed more than 76,000 offences were recorded in 2018 to 2019. That's a 60% increase in just four years. Some of that comes from the reporting of historic abuse, but the problem certainly isn't going away. What more can be done? Richard Scorer points to a weakness in the law. 
We don't have a mandatory reporting law. We don't have a law that says that if somebody in an institution knows about or suspects that a child is being abused, that they then have a legal duty to report that, for example, to the police so that it can be investigated. We don't have that mandatory reporting law in this country. We do have it in most other countries in in the world. And I hope that one of the things that comes out of the inquiry is that that will change. But why is the thinking in the UK different? What is the reasoning for not having it? I think one of the fears has always been that if you have a mandatory reporting law, then you'll get an increase in reports, you'll get a spike in reports. And we've always said that that is perfectly true. You will get an initial increase in reports. And that's been the experience of other countries. But The point is that once you get those reports and you get those things investigated, then you prevent abuse and you protect children down the line. So overall, mandatory reporting laws have the effect of preventing uh, abuse and protecting children. Let's hear from some of the professionals working with abuse victims. Namita Prakash is CEO of Trust House Reading and speaks on behalf of the Survivors Trust. She told me that it was essential for people who suspect abuse to speak out. They have a duty of responsibility to take it to the safeguarding lead in their organization. Absolutely, if there is a concern, there would be an investigation and, you know, the truth will hopefully come out either way. Just because you're afraid that you're ruining somebody's relationship, uh, you know, somebody's professional uh, life. uh, is. But think about the victim and survivor as well. If a child and a young person is there and you suspect that they are being abused or somebody is being inappropriate, look at, you know, the uh, equation here. They don't have anybody to talk to you talk on their behalf they are the ones who are the vulnerable ones they are the ones who 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 don't have the authority or the knowledge or the experience to go and out and seek help and look at this experience you know this example um, that we're talking about today people didn't talk about it and that's why it continued for so long Namita told me what we should do if a child tells us about abuse they've suffered I think the Absolutely, the most important thing is believing them. We have had many cases where children try to say something or say a little bit and then people don't trust them, don't believe in what they are saying. So that's paramount. People need to be more and more aware of what's going on in the society, what child sexual abuse looks like. And also it's about breaking the silence so that a child or an adult doesn't feel silenced, as you say, by the abuser. If you look at perpetrators or abusers, they manage this really well. They know how to groom children and young people. Anne Campbell, CEO of the Abuse Survivors Charity Embrace, told me about the signs we should look out for in our children. I think there are a lot of uh, signs and there are, again, some common threads that happen to children when they're being abused. It usually manifests itself in their behaviours. So they may become withdrawn. Uh, They may be um, acting in a different way from what they have been before. They may start um, truanting from school. Things that are uh, unusual. There's usually a reason for that. So it's about understanding um, what those changes might be. But Certainly, behaviour is uh, a very key um, and number one flag. Also, um, we've known instances of where children and young people have self-harmed. You know, they don't do that for no reason. Uh, What are their anxieties? What is causing them to appear depressed and down and withdrawn? The sort of questions that uh, any adult would then should want to ask. 
And what are the warning signs you could pick up on that somebody is an abuser? <laughs> um, I think that's actually a much more difficult question because many of the abusers are like you and I. You would not know um, just by looking at someone. And the age old, when I was a, a child, and we might be warned about the uh, uh, semi-homeless uh, tramp in 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 the street, but it, it's actually not that at all. Abusers are across all cultural, racial and economic uh, um, divides, and there really is no way of picking them out. They're very clever. Nothing at all then? Well... Because you've got to trust people sometimes as you well, do. haven't and you? It's sometimes, shockingly, people get themselves in that position of trust because, again, it's part of their cover. So one terrible case that we dealt with, uh, the abuser uh, was a prison officer, you know, somebody who should have been on the side of the law and justice. And very, very sadly, the victim was his own daughter. And the abuse didn't come to light until the child was ill and a blood test was taken. And it became apparent that uh, there was something in her blood that was clearly not right and could only have been put there by an adult. And it was a drug that used to quieten her during the nights when the abuse took place. So she didn't call out. Her mother didn't know. And that totally split that family asunder and frankly is probably one of the worst cases that um, in my recollection. Richard Scorer from Slater and Gordon says that a pattern has emerged of the way abusers exploit institutions to get to vulnerable children. I think what we've seen in many of these institutions is that uh, abusers, people who want to harm children, uh, try to use the status and authority that those institutions confer on them in, in, order to, um, in order to harm children. And so we've seen it with some of the teachers at Chet's who you know, were sort of so-called rock star uh, music teachers with international reputations and they use that power and authority uh, to, to, to abuse children and to act as kind of gatekeepers for children's careers in, in music. And we've seen similar things in, for example, in, in, in sport, in, in football. There's been a big abuse scandal. We've seen how some of the coaches there have used that kind of career gatekeeping role in order to, um, in, in order to abuse children. Let's go back to Laura's mother, Louise. She told me about her daughter as she is now. She's just fantastic. Yeah, absolutely fabulous. What she eventually, what I did arrange for her was to be part of a group where the child's grief and rage is given a voice and they, it's really encouraged so that her locked-inness began to be helped. Do you think there's anything that could have been done earlier to have made her open up and talk about what was going no. on? Unless I had known if anyone had tipped me off and I had propositioned her, then she would, I know, I feel sure she would have been able to tell me. Catherine told me how her experience had affected her love of music. I left Cheatham's and went to university to do a history degree and I pretty much stopped playing for a year. Um, I grew up in a family that played other kinds of music apart from classical music and I 
gave up playing classical music basically the minute I walked out of Cheatham's. And because I, of the association? Because of the association. And I find it very hard to listen to classical music because of the associations. But you still play? I still play, yeah. I, I found a different kind of music to play. and What do you play? Uh, I play uh, traditional music. And it does feel like a small victory that I still play music at all. And also, you teach as well. Yeah. <laughs> how, do you, how do you try to be as a teacher? Um, I try. I'm sure I don't always succeed, but I try to be as compassionate as I can be. To um, your violinists? To my violinists, yeah. That's, that's what I aim to try and do and really try and make sure that I never undermine their confidence or their belief in what they can do. Talking about child abuse is obviously incredibly difficult and I want to thank Louise and Catherine for telling us their stories. Thanks to Richard Scorer from Slater and Gordon as well as Anne Campbell from Embrace and Namita Prakash from the Survivors Trust and Trust House Reading. If you want to know more, have a look at our website, slatergordon.co.uk forward slash podcast, or head over to our social media channels and search hashtag casefilespod and join the conversation. I'm Kate Chabot. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye.